Hey, what's up, you guys? This is Bert. I'm the lead pastor at True North Community Church. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. I'm going to have a little something to say to you at the end, but for now, let's dive in. Part three in a message series called You'll Be Glad You Did. Timeless advice for troubled times. And what we're after today is a biblical concept called wisdom. We're all after wisdom. Wisdom Wisdom is, here's how we define it. It's a series of insights, a set of insights, informed by the knowledge that life is connected. The different parts of your life are connected to one another. We want to behave and we want to live and we want to think as if what I do in this part of my life isn't going to impact what I do in this area of my life and what I do in this area of my life and what I do in this area of my life. The truth is, it does. What happens over here in Vegas doesn't stay in Vegas. It touches every other part of our life. So when we make decisions moving forward, uh, we want to compartmentalize things and say, I can behave this way, or I can think this way, or do this in this part of my life, and it won't, I'll just keep it compartmentalized, and it won't touch any other part of my life. That's unwise. It's not true. It's not how it works. And the same thing is true chronologically. The past touches the future, and the, and I'm sorry, the past touches the, I'm going to say that again. I got this. Thank you. Thank you for the encouragement. (laughs) Shut up. Okay, so the past touches the present and the present touches the future. The decisions you made in the past are creating the reality you currently experience. And the decisions you're making now are creating the reality that you are headed towards. Life is connected. And as we look into wisdom, uh, a series of insights informed by the knowledge that life is connected, the thing we're after today, the one word summation of what we're after today, is the word forgive. Forgive. Now when I say the word forgive, a couple of you out there get a stiff neck. Don't want to hear it. Not too sure. I'm like, eh, maybe this isn't the sermon for me. Maybe I, maybe I came on a bad Sunday. And there's something in you rising up now that is saying, I know, I know, I know. I get it. Thank you very much. I've heard this before. Uh, you know, we talk about this a lot because the scriptures talk about it a lot. In fact, I made you guys a promise in week one. I told you, even if you're not a believer, this stuff is going to make sense to you. Even if you would not self-identify as a Christian. Even if you're here and you're like, I don't. I, don't, I wouldn't self-identify as a Christ follower. I'm, I'm agnostic. I don't, whatever you might be this morning, wherever you are, this stuff is going to work for you. Whether you're, You don't have to be a Christian for it to make sense and for, for you to apply it to your life. And that, after all, is what we're after. Not just wisdom, applied wisdom. It's not just, I know, I know, I know, but are you doing anything with what you know? Now, forgiveness is not something that comes easy to us. It's always a struggle. Um, But forgiveness is something dealt with in every major religious text in history. We find words about forgiveness across all religions. In every religious text we have through history, the, the topic of forgiveness is discussed, and its importance is highlighted. There's one text in particular, very, very old text, from the book of Genesis. It's the story of Joseph. We don't have time to get into the, the depth of the story, but here's the, here's, the, here's the quick version. Here's the summation. Joseph was one of, of 12. He had 11 brothers, and he was his daddy's favorite. Never a good thing when parents play favorites, but this was an extreme case. His brothers were so sick of the favoritism and the way that Joseph was treated a little bit better than they were, they actually plotted to kill him. This is a thing that happened in the Bible. His 11 brothers said, let's kill him, and they were about to kill him, and one of the brothers spoke up and said, 
Hang on. Whoa, 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 whoa. Tee up for a minute. Uh, if we kill him, we're going to be guilty of his blood. It's a big sin. It's a big deal. Let's don't kill him. Let's sell him into slavery. Because there are slave traders coming through Egypt all the time. We'll sell him into slavery. We won't be guilty of his death. He'll be out of our life, and we'll make a few bucks, you know? And this seemed good to everybody, and that's what they did. They took Joseph, and they sold him into slavery, and Joseph was taken to Egypt. Now, through a crazy series of circumstances that we don't have time to summarize, I'm going to jump to the end. Over a period of decades, Joseph rises to prominence and becomes the second in command of all of Egypt. He becomes Pharaoh's right-hand man, just as a famine descends upon the land. So everybody's hungry, everyone's coming to Egypt for food, including Joseph's brothers. Now Joseph's brothers think Joseph is long dead. They, you know, Egyptian slaves didn't live very long. It's been years and years and years. They don't, their brother is out of sight, out of mind. They certainly have no idea he's the second in command of all of Egypt. And Joseph learns that his brothers, the brothers who sold him into slavery, are now in his city looking for food. So this is, this is, uh, let, me, let me ask you a question. Don't raise your hand on this one. Anybody here ever had a vivid revenge fantasy? Don't, don't raise your hand. But I have. Okay, so, like, yeah, anybody here ever had a revenge fantasy? Like, oh, if I could, like, you ever gone Clark W. Griswold? I'd like my boss to be delivered here in a bread bow so I could give him a piece of my mind on Christmas Eve. You ever had a revenge fantasy? Like, if I could get my, my boss, that person who cheated on me, that person who stole from me, if I could just have, oh, the things I would do to that person. You've had that kind of a revenge fantasy at some point in your life, probably. Joseph's revenge fantasy is right in front of him. His brother, I mean, the, the, the ball is on the tee. All he has to do is hit. It's, right, it's just teed up. He's in charge of the whole city. He wants to have his brothers executed, snaps his fingers. He wants to have them thrown in prison, snaps his fingers. He wants to have them tortured, snaps his fingers. It's all he has to do. This, this, is, this is what he's been dreaming of and what Joseph does. Instead of hitting the ball on the tee and taking advantage of the vivid revenge fantasy that's been set up for him by life and by God, he offers his brothers forgiveness and says, God meant it for good, even though you meant it for evil. You meant to hurt me. God meant for it to work to my benefit, and that's what happened. Now, this doesn't come easy. It doesn't come naturally. Uh, when you were a kid, you didn't forgive naturally. When you're, when, if you have kids, you've seen this in action. Children have to be taught how to forgive. They have to be taught how to apologize, which is why if you have a kid, if you have a child, or you're around children, uh, sooner or later, especially among siblings, there's going to be an injury. Someone's going to get hurt. Uh, someone, hey, he hit me. He took my toy. He did the thing, whatever he did. One of them's going to be angry at the other, and you're going to have to sit down with one of your kids and teach them how to apologize. And when you do, you're going to say the following words. And every parent says the following words with the exact same way and the exact same inflection. Billy, say you're sorry. That's how every parent says it. So if you're a new parent, just learn that. Off you go. Okay, so Billy, say you're sorry. You know, and then, Susie, do you accept his apology? You know, I guess, you know. Then say, I forgive you. And uh, by the way, that's a part. A lot of people didn't even get that second half, which is why there's like a ton of people walking around today who think if they say sorry, that changes everything. You ever have somebody who hurt you deeply come back to you later and go, I said I was sorry. 
As if saying sorry just changes everything. It doesn't. You know it, and I know it. But the thing is, with forgiveness and saying sorry, we, it doesn't come naturally. We're swimming upstream against our own nature, and here's why. When there is an injury, when there's a wound, when somebody hurts you, what's created is debt. What's created is debt. Just like financial debt. When somebody owes you money, you know it. When somebody's hurt you or injured you, there's debt involved. Which is why we say, you owe me an apology. Oh, O-W-E, that's debt, that's finance language. You owe me an apology. And if I don't get what I deserve, I'm going to pay you back. That's finance language. That's the language we use when we talk about dollars. When it comes to, to injury, when it comes to being hurt, debt is created. And just like with financial debt, when you owe somebody or somebody is in your debt, you got one of two options. The first option is you can demand payment. And that's often what we do. We demand payment. We take the moral high ground and we make sure that person pays us back. Some of you have been in this situation before, right? I mean, hopefully nobody's in it right now, but perhaps you are in a situation or you've known somebody who's had the following set of circumstances occur in your or their life. You get a great new job, great new paycheck, making some money. Things are good. Go out and get yourself a nice new car to go with that nice new job because your monthly paycheck can cover the monthly nut on the car. So far, so good, and all is well. But if you happen to lose that nice new job, that doesn't mean you lose the debt that you owe. Follow? So now, maybe you find yourself, you don't have the job, you don't have the paycheck, but you still got the monthly nut on that beautiful car you bought. You're still ha- you still have to make the payments, but you can't make the payments because the job isn't there anymore. So now, you're behind on your payments. You get behind. You're a little bit more behind and a little bit more behind and a little bit more behind each month. Anybody besides me starting to get a little stressed out? <laughs> you know, and pretty soon your phone's ringing with numbers you don't recognize, and you're ducking calls, and you answer once by accident, and it says, hey, I'm a debt collector. I'm here to collect the debt because you owe. you got to pay us back. You owe money. There's payment due, and we want what's ours. Whether it's 50 bucks or 500 bucks or 5,000 bucks, it doesn't matter. Those debt collectors want their money, and pretty soon now, if you go down the road, you're parking your car at your friend's house because you don't want the repo man to come get it, right? That's what happens because somebody on the other end of this is demanding payment, and that's what happens with us. We demand payment. We're after it. We want more and more and more moral high ground. And that's what happens when we demand payment. The trouble is, that person can never pay you back. That person is never going to be able to make it up to you. That injury that was created when that person hurt you, that's done. It's over. So what happens is, as you and I demand payment, we take the moral high ground. And our attitude is, I have leverage on you now. And I'm a little bit better than you now. And you're kind of a piece of garbage for what you did to me. And I'm going to maintain that moral high ground. I'm going to maintain that leverage. And I'm going to keep it and, and, and nurse it and hold on to it until I feel like you've suffered enough for what you did. That is happening in a room, in a group this size. That's happening in the room now. We've got people in this room now that are struggling with this. 
The first thing that can happen when there's debt is you demand payment. The second thing you can do when there's debt is cancel the debt and forgive the debt and say, you don't owe me anymore. You don't have to owe me anymore. And that's what God is calling us to do, to cancel the debt, to say, I'm going to let go. I'm going to relinquish the moral high ground. I'm going to step down off the, off, the, off the elevated position that I put myself in. I'm going to stop thinking of you as a piece of garbage for what you did to me. And I'm going to cancel the debt and return to a level playing field. That does not mean you affirm or validate what was done. Because for some of us, the injury of which we speak has to do with abuse. For some of us, the injury, the wound that we're carrying is because we were abused or betrayed or something horrible happened. Forgiveness, offering forgiveness, canceling the debt does not mean you validate what was done to you. This is not saying, oh, it's totally fine that you did that. It's just you saying, I'm canceling the debt. You don't have to make any effort to pay me back anymore. It doesn't, this is the thing about canceling the debt. It doesn't even matter if they've apologized. You can do this whether they've apologized or not. Now that, that is difficult. Anybody else find that really difficult? Now you can raise your hand. Anybody else find that really? Yeah, this is hard. You have to swim upstream against this. It's not in my nature to do that. I still think that person is a piece of garbage for what they did. I still think that person deserves punishment. I still think I have the moral high. That, that's all the stuff that comes naturally to me and probably to you. This is difficult stuff to forgive that debt. But if you do, if you do, You'll be glad you did. Here's why. These are some verses from the Gospel of Matthew. Chapter 6, beginning at verse 9. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, if you're like me, you grew up, you memorized that as a kid, you were taught it, uh, it went down in history as the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father, and, and, and maybe you learned it in a different translation, like these and thys and thy will be done and thy kingdom come, and there's a few words that got switched. I learned it, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. This translation says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, at the end of the prayer, I don't know if you knew this, Jesus circles back. At the conclusion of the prayer, we say amen. That's as much as we memorized. But right after the part, that, the part ends that everybody memorized, Jesus circles back and goes, hey, uh, guys, just one more thing, by the way. There's one part of this equation that is really, really important. And here it is. The very next verses, the very next words that Jesus speaks. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you, for not, if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I hate that verse. <laughs> I hate that verse. I don't want to hear this. 
right? It's okay to say you hate a verse. I'm not going, you're not going to go to hell if you say that. It's all right, okay? We all have things we wish the Bible didn't say. This is one of those things I wish the Bible didn't say that. I don't want, you know why? Because I want to behave like this is isolated. I want to be able, I want to behave as if I'm allowed to maintain the moral high ground on this thing. I'm allowed to think I'm a little bit better than this person in this area because of what they did. And I want to behave as if this area doesn't touch this area and doesn't touch this area and this area. But wisdom is a series of insights informed by the knowledge that life is connected. Whether or not I forgive this person impacts whether or not God forgives me. These things are connected. So we're called. We're called to have a little self-awareness. We're called to say, all right, maybe, maybe I need to view what they did to me in light of how often God has forgiven me. We get prayer requests here uh, pretty regularly. People come up to the stage after church for prayer, and sometimes people email prayer requests into us, and we have a team of people that prays for every single one of those things, and this week, a prayer request came into my inbox that I, I must have read it eight or nine times. It was the most beautifully written, introspective thing, and I, I actually reached out to the person and asked them if I could use their words. This is the prayer request that came in this week. Listen to this. I'm trying to work on my attitude and my anger, and I'm struggling poorly. I'm not nice to the people closest to me, without reason. I become a horrible person who thinks I know more than everyone. Can anybody relate to that? I become a horrible person. I think I know more than everyone. I, I think I'm better than others, and I judge other people's thoughts and ways of living. Not to mention, I've lost all my patience. It's completely gone. I'm ashamed and uncomfortable in my own skin. I kick myself after the fact, but I've already caused the damage with my words. My family doesn't deserve my rude comments. I'm asking for healing and to help me find whatever could be the root cause of my deepest anger and wherever this rudeness is coming from. That is a prayer request that God is gonna honor because the position of it comes in humility. I'm, I'm judging others. I'm, I'm angry at others. I'm judging what other people are saying. I'm, I'm rude to other people. I've somehow taken the tone of superiority. I've somehow leveraged some sort of moral high ground in my own mind as if I'm better than them because I think I'm right. And there's something inside this person that knows that's, that offends the heart of God. There's no wisdom in moving forward like that. We're called to forgive those around us, those who hurt us. There's a passage in the scripture where, where uh, Peter, Peter was, uh, if you've never, if you're not familiar with the scripture, Peter was always the guy putting his foot in his mouth, and this is another example. Peter was asking Jesus, uh, you know, how many times he had to forgive somebody. Like, how often do I have to put up with this? How many times do I have to forgive somebody? This is the verse. Listen, listen to this. This is good. Uh, Matthew chapter 18. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Another translation says 77, one says 70 times seven. What's going on here is Peter thinks he's hot stuff because he's going to forgive somebody seven times. 
So he's walking along the path with Jesus, and he's talking to Jesus. And I guarantee you, the other apostles, the other apostles are within earshot. They can hear this. And they're walking along, and, and, and Peter's, Peter's talking to Jesus. He says, hey, Jesus, uh, how often do I have to forgive my brother who sins against me? Check this out. Watch this. Seven times. And Jesus says, actually, Pete, 70 times seven. Like, just keep going, keep going, and keep going. And that doesn't mean at the 489th time, uh, you, can, you can just let them have it, you know. Uh, that means you just keep forgiving, keep forgiving, keep forgiving. Now, that does not mean, listen up, because this verse gets misinterpreted once in a while. This does not mean you become a human doormat. This does not mean you continue to allow abusive people and abusive behavior to exist in your life. This just, this means you stop acting as if you're going to get payback. You stop behaving as if somehow you've leveraged your position to be elevated until somehow they do something to bring themselves back up to your level. Because that's effectively what's going on when we withhold forgiveness, when we, we, we hold on to that. And what's occurring, what's occurring in your life and what's occurring in my life when we do that is this. You've chained yourself to that person. If you're carrying this, if you're, if you're maintaining the moral high ground because of what they did, if you're not forgiving, if you won't cancel the debt, you're going to be bitter and angry until the playing field gets level. And there's something in you that kind of likes that the playing field isn't level because you can still think of that person as a piece of garbage and there's something about that that feels good. You just chained yourself to that person. You connected your ability to be okay with their behavior. And that, loved ones, is not wise. You just chained your ability to be okay to their behavior. Now, you only get to be okay. You only get to walk in freedom. You only get to release this anger and this bitterness if they somehow make it up to you and pay you back. And loved ones, you don't want to live that way. You just don't. This doesn't come easy. It's not natural to offer this kind of forgiveness. It's not natural to just let this stuff go. What's natural is to, is to demand payback and have revenge fantasies and talk smack about that person to every single person who will give you an ear so that you can form a camp, a group of people who all agree on what a piece of garbage that person is so that now when you're with this group of friends, when that person's name comes up, everybody goes, oh, here we go. They're gonna, you know, because now you've got a little confederacy going, right? You've got a group of people who agree that you have the moral high ground and feed into you and give you a nice little echo chamber about how right and righteous you are. Loved ones, there is a world of difference between being right and being righteous. It may be right that this person it hurt you. It may be right that, that you're owed something. That means you're right. Righteousness means you offer forgiveness. Why? Because of how often God forgives you. Because however often this person has hurt you, it is nothing compared to the number of times that God has forgiven you. Time after time after time after time. And this is where faith for me comes in. This is not easy for me to believe. Because I just, don't you ever feel like God would like look at you? I feel sometimes like God would look at me and go, Bert, seriously? Again with this? 
Honestly, how many times are you going to make the same mistake? How many times am I going to have to forgive you for this? We're, we're done here. Like, no, I'm not forgiving you this time. Enough is enough. That's what I would do. If somebody kept hurting me, if somebody kept sinning against me, I, there would be a line, and it wouldn't be 77 or 490, and I don't think I'd make it to 7 either. There'd be a point where I said, yeah, we're done here. And I keep thinking that that's what God's going to do with me, and he never does. He never does. He just keeps forgiving me and forgiving me and forgiving me because his love is perfect and his love is beautiful and that's who he is. That's not who I am. That's who I'm trying to be. That's not who you are. Hopefully that's who you're trying to be. We want to emulate that. We want to reflect that to the world around us, but we can't do that if we're holding on to that anger. We can't do that if we're holding on to that bitterness and we're poisoning our own well. You're poisoning your own life holding on to that stuff. And you've attached your ability to breathe and live a stress-free life. You've attached all of that to the behavior of some other person that you can't control and don't even like. That's unwise. Let it go. Cancel the debt. You don't have to validate what happened. Cancel the debt and move on. If you do, you'll be glad you did. We'll pick it up right from here next week for part four. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we're grateful. We're just grateful for the opportunity to gather in your house and, and, and hear these words, and, and we need help. Father, we just need help with this because it doesn't come naturally. This doesn't come easy to any of us. We are all of us struggling, and so we need you to create some faith within us to, to operate in, in, this, in this area. It just feels better to us. It feels more normal and more natural to us to maintain the moral high ground, to think about that person as a piece of garbage, and somehow believe that we're better than them, and that we can keep doing this until they level the playing field. Father, we know that's not wise. We know that's not how you've called us to live. So we're praying for grace. We're praying for help and foresight enough and wisdom enough to cancel these debts as you have canceled ours. May that be so in my life. May that be so in all of our lives. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks once again for taking the time to listen. It's an honor to have you with us. If you'd like to support our church financially and help us continue to put this content out there for free, that would be a really big deal to us. We're completely supported by the contributions of the people that come to our church. And if you'd like to help, you can do that online at truenorthchurch.net slash give, or you can do it with a text message. Just text the word True North to 77977 on your cell phone, and you'll get a prompt leading you through how to do that. Thanks again for dialing in. See you soon. Bye-bye.